My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. Facility, Soledad, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hello. Yes. Justin, you're sentenced to 82 years to life. You've been in a... Did you believe that you would die in prison? Yeah, I believe this was it. This was over. And I remember as soon as I got sentenced and we were driving back to Youth Authority, and I remember through the crash of the window, I was looking at the, the street, the yellow road signs on the ground, and I, I felt like that was the last time I'll ever see the streets again. Eighty-two more years after 18 would mean 100 years old. Were you sentenced to 100% or 85%? 100% because my parole hearing was set for 2088. 2088? Yeah. But something happened. Something happened. Something changed for you twice for your yeah. sentence to be changed. Will you talk about that? In 2013, they passed a law, Senate Bill 260, where anyone under the age of 18 will have a youthful opportunity for parole. After how many years? After 25 years. Okay. So after that, my my parole hearing date was changed from 2088 to 2030. And then five years later, I petitioned the governor for a clemency. And in 2018, right before Thanksgiving, Governor Brown commuted my sentence to 15 years to life. Six months later, I was given a parole hearing on May 17, 2019, in which I was granted parole. Wait, wait, wait. Take us back. Take, take, take us back for a minute here. So you went from 2088, and because of Senate Bill 260, which was the first of the three youth offender laws, there, there afterwards became Senate Bill 261, 23 and under, AB 1308, uh, 25 and under, would be a youth offender because science has shown that the male brain isn't fully developed until the age of 25. So you're looking at 20, 2030, which is probably a, a joyous moment for your mama uh, to know that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And then you decide to petition the governor for a commutation. So here's a guy. How long had you been in? How long had you been in prison when you petitioned the governor? I had been in 11 years. 11 years since the 82 years of life. And was this a faith decision? Did you think? I have a chance. I don't have a chance. This is a shot in the dark. You petition Governor Brown for a commutation. What happens? So I felt like I've done everything I could on my end to truly change and address my issues. And there was a guy uh, named Hugo, and he came in young age, and he was granted clemency. And... When I saw him, I was like, what? If he could get it, I know I could get it. 
I felt I felt that way because I knew the guy and and you knew him too. So just knowing knowing that I felt like yeah, if he could get it, there's definitely hope for me. So based on that, I, I decided to submit everything that I worked on, my change, my transformation. And and surprisingly, four months after I submitted the application, an uh, investigator from the governor's office came and interviewed me. He questioned me about my childhood, my life crime, what I've done to address that, my change. And I've poured out my heart, honestly, the things I never got caught for. Um, and he asked me at the, at the end of the, the interview, why should you deserve a commutation? And I told him, I don't. Uh, I've murdered somebody. I've attempted to murder somebody. And I don't deserve anything. But it's not going to change who I am today. And I will continue to be the best person I could be. He said, that's a question that we all have to ask. And it was more of a conversation. And after I told him in depth of who I am today and the work that I've been doing, helping the youth, uh, helping people change, I always understood that this was my fate. That if anything else happens, it's, it's an act of grace. It's an act of mercy. And five months later, the day before Thanksgiving, they gave me a call uh, to the governor's office. They called me to the program office. And I spoke with the, the governor's attorney. I remember her name was Ashley. And she verified my name, my CDC number. And she said, congratulations. The governor's been really impressed with your file. He commuted your sentence to 15 years to life. Congratulations. And I was speechless. I said, wow, hallelujah. I felt like that was one of the the highest moments of my life in prison. Would you say that was your best moment in prison? I would say one of the highest because... Yeah. So I got commuted in November 2018. Okay. And, and Last year. six months later, I went to the parole board. Exactly six months later. So all in that time span... So you went to board this year? This year. And I, I seen the psych. Uh, she she wrote a very favorable report, uh, low risk for violence. Uh, she addressed all my issues, uh, historic factors of my childhood, growing up, employment, relationship. And she said that I have ceased from my immature behavior, and I have matured a lot, and my rehabilitation and record shows for it. So it was very very favorable. And I had plans to get deported to Korea, and she said that my plans are very realistic and very hopeful. Uh, so just because you got was, commuted doesn't mean it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Doesn't mean that no, you're going to be found suitable at board, right? No, not at all. It was just an earlier opportunity to present my case of who I am today, and it was it was rigorous. They questioned me in depth about my gang involvement, my childhood, uh, my drinking, my alcohol, my marijuana problem, and everything I've done up to up to today. So it, w it was very rigorous. And 
and at the end they commended me that usually people coming to prison at a young age they usually go through hiccups they they get in trouble it's, it's not a while until they decide to change uh, they said I, I started at an early age uh, right when I came in and then I'm to be commended for that and I felt like they finally were able to see the work that I put in they said they were impressed with my age of maturity I am and that I am proof that the system does work if I put the effort in it and that truly for me was a humbling experience I wasn't thinking about my parole or anything but simply to give an account of what I've done and who I am today even even as they were deliberating my only prayer to God was let me continue to honor you let me honor you let me honor you and that, that was it they came back with the deliberation of parole suitability So I'm I'm waiting, and that was by far one of the the best, highest experiences that I've had. Uh, finally, given a parole date, and my family, uh, we were preparing for my release. They sent in all my clothes from my dress out, and they're preparing the the home in Korea, the home in California, just in case if I'm not deported. So we're very excited, and I felt like for the first time my mom, she was finally revived. I could I could sense the joy in her voice. She's going shopping, buying me clothes, socks, shoes. And four months go by, and I'm waiting and waiting. The days are dragging now. I'm counting down the days until I am going home. And I remember it was 113th day. Uh, September 11th, just a month ago, my counselor called me from my work, and I'm excited. I'm thinking I'm finally going to sign my papers, and I'm going to go home. And she told me, Chang, the governor reversed your parole. And I told her, don't play with me. And uh, her faith was dead serious. The governor had reversed your parole. And she handed me the letter. And as soon as I read the letter, I felt like my world was crashing down again. I felt like I was resentenced. I felt like I was back in jail. Uh, because my mind was already set on Korea. All the plans and the preparations that my family were doing, I felt like I was put in handcuffs again. And as soon as she told me that, I I walked away, uh, I sat down, uh, I felt lightheaded, and I kept thinking about Eric Queen's mother, and I just kept thinking about her, kept thinking about how fresh the pain was still feel for her, and, and my thought was the governor is justified. Uh, he's taking precautionary measures to, to make sure that I am a safe person, to make sure the community is safe wherever I go. But then I kept thinking about my mom, my family. How am I going to break the news to them? So I went out to the yard that night, and 
as soon as I called my mom, she was at Costco. She was shopping already, shopping for for clothes, and she asked me, should I buy you some shoes, or should I wait till you get out? What should I do? And she sounded so happy. And I couldn't talk after that. And my mom, she, she knew something was wrong. And she said, what's wrong? And I tried to be strong for my mom, but it broke my heart. She sounded so happy, and, and I told her the governor had reversed my parole. And I couldn't stop crying. I, I felt so bad for her. And I wanted to be strong for her, but it was the other way around. She was the one holding me up. Strong woman of faith, she was telling me, well, what's the next step? Did you take away your commutation too? I said no, but I would have to go back to the parole board again, probably in about 18 months. And she said, well, you know what? We did it before, we'll do it again. Just continue to trust in God. And his timing is perfect. And it was hard. I, I snot was coming out of my nose. A lot of the brothers here, the community was shocked. Everybody that knew who I was, they couldn't believe it. And a lot of the guys that went to the parole board that's awaiting the governor's review, a lot of them are they're really shaken. Some of them felt like, if this happened to me, this could happen to them too. And it was hard. I, I felt depressed. I felt devastated. And my mom, she visited me that very weekend. And the following weekend, my aunt from Korea, my grandma, they all came. They flew in from Korea. They came to encourage me. The following weekend after that, my friend, she came to visit me. And the week after that, my pastor came to visit me. That assured me that I do have a strong network. I have strong support. But I was able to pick myself up to encourage them. I know I could do this again. Not because I've done it before, because I know the, the work that I put into change. I know who I am. So it was difficult. I, I had to literally force myself to get up and to go to work every day, uh, to wake up and, and be strong for my family. And I still feel that today. It's only been a month and a half since I received the news, and I'm, I'm battling every day. Uh, it's like a roller coaster. But I'm reminded God's timing is perfect. When when God raised Joseph. Uh, to be next to Pharaoh when Joseph was incarcerated. It took God year, it took God two years for Joseph to to rise next to Pharaoh. So I know God's timing is perfect and I know that he has a big purpose for me. And in the meantime, uh they told me I'll go back to the Pro Board no later than November twenty twenty which is about a year from now. And I'm using this time wisely to prepare myself to not waste any time to get my college degrees, to practice my Korean, to be more of a mentor, uh, help people in here. So I've been doing that with my time. And, and it's a struggle every day. I felt like, what did I do wrong? Did I not express enough insight, enough remorse? They commended me on that, and, and it was psychologically confusing. Like, man, they told me everything I did, 
not to say that I'm not ready. I'm dangerous. But I had to really evaluate and, and look at what the governor said. And yes, I could bring more insight. I could work on myself more. And when I do go back to the hearing, I will be more mature. I will be more wise. I will be more older. I will be more of a beautiful man of God. And, and the situation, it hurts. But everything I learned throughout the years of letting go of resentment, communicating how I feel, talking to people I trust, I have come to understand. And what the governor wants is more insight, and I could bring that. But every day, it's been a, it's been a battle. It's been a struggle, for sure. It's certainly a unique story. I don't know if there's anyone else uh, who's experienced what you've experienced in the state yet. There may be a few, but there's a few guys there on the yard that I know that you mentioned that they're in the same situation as you are, awaiting their 150 days, given the commutation by Governor Brown, but having the possibility of it being taken by Governor Newsom. Yeah, I mean, so. it's devastating. This is real stuff. But again, you know, it showed me how resilient I am, how strong I am. And I felt like I remember after my parole hearing, I remember thinking to myself, man, I can't do this again. I can't go through this again. But I'm reminded that God won't give you anything more than you can handle. Right. This has, this has shown me how strong I am. All that time when I used to feel weak and was bullied, and that's why I joined the gang. No, this is what true empowerment is, that you can stand strong beyond the obstacles, beyond the hurt, beyond the pain beyond freedom, that I could still be happy, I could still have joy, I could still be strong for my family. That's what a true man is, that I am a man built for others. I am a man that can handle the responsibilities of my family, to bear the weight of my community. This is who I'm becoming, and I believe that this is making me more stronger. So in that sense, as much as I don't like to admit it, it is making me a better man. That's great. That's a great perspective. That's probably the best perspective that you can have, considering the circumstances, Justin. I'm proud of you. Think about guys like Patrick Griffin, who we knew in there, who went to the board seven times. And they spent, Patrick spent 39 years in there, uh, from 1979 to 2018. So, I mean, it was an act of grace and mercy. Uh, grace is receiving uh, what you don't deserve as a gift yes. and mercy is not getting what you do deserve and in both cases you you have that going on in, in your case at one time 82 years to life 100 percent of the time going to the board after 12 and a half years after only 12 and a half years so i do believe that you're going to be found suitable justin you were found suitable as your mom said the first time and more than likely you'll be found suitable again and uh, it's a great perspective to keep the other family, the the family of the Wang family, and what was the other last name of the other family? Yeah, the Yao family. Yeah, when I what when they're I going think through. Perspective, yeah, when I think about all those different factors, the families, the the different types of cases, the amount of time that I've done in here, it really keeps me grounded. It keeps me humble. And yes, I could always do more work. I could always become better. So right. this is essentially making me even a, a better, a more beautiful man. And that's where gold comes from, being being furnished in the fire, being purified. 
So that's what I'm going through. So I humbly receive it. I have no right. choice, right? But I do have a choice how to respond to it. So right. I, I welcome it. And it's also an opportunity to share that story with others who have 80 years and 100 years and 60 years and who believe that there's no light at the end of the tunnel and they're going to die in prison. And look at you, 12 and a half years after being sentenced to 82 years to life, you had the possibility to go before the parole board and you were found suitable by that parole board, not because you deserved it, but because you earned it. You have tr truly made a, a transformation in your thinking and your behavior and your words in your community, in your environment. You know, talk about some of the things that you're doing today, giving back. You know, you mentioned youth earlier, sharing your story. Are you in the We Care program there, and what is that? It's a youth deterrent program where high school students or even students young as junior high, 11, 12 years old, they come in and we give them a tour of the place, and we take them around the yard, the day room, the showers, the cells, but at the end of the day, I believe that's where the most value is, where the men in here share their testimonies and spend about an hour together. And recently, uh, I had a kid, he was 14 years old, and he was already heavily gang-affiliated. His family, his brothers, his brother was shot uh, recently six times. And in his mind, like, that's the lifestyle. You know, if they get us, we get them back. If they disrespect us, we, we disrespect them back. And and he told me that he liked to smoke marijuana and uh, just listen to music. And that's how I was. And I I thought it was normal. It's part, part of life going up. But everything that he's doing is, is headed towards prison. And I have to tell him that. Like, you think it's cool right now. You think the homies are there. You think your family doesn't understand you. And he shared with me how hurt he was that his dad lives with another family. His dad can't even spend time with him. So I understand that. I understand the hurt. But at the same time, you have to let that know. And there's a lot of people that's willing to help you. So in essence, I felt like that was me. I felt like I was talking to me. And he was set. He was set on being a gang member. He was set on chilling with the homies. And honestly, it felt like a hopeless case. And... He might have to learn the hard way, like I did. But it gives me a sense of purpose that, okay, I'm using my story, my hurt, my pain, my experience. Hey, this can't be you. This doesn't have to be you. And and I spoke to him in a way that he understood. Yeah, they used to call me silent. And yeah, I put a work for the hood, for the Korean boys. And he, he understood that. But at the same time, I told him, but for what? What are we really fighting for? What are we creating pain and disaster for. And and I don't know if he fully understood that, but little by little, I was able to encourage him. And he got all S in his class, but at least try to get Ds, I told him. And he said maybe he could work on that. So, hey, if, if I could at least change somebody's life a little bit, then I felt like I've done my purpose. And, and that definitely gives me a sense of living, a sense of worth to give my life to help other people be better. So right now, I've, I've always been involved in the ministry type of work uh, okay. in the church. Uh, so right now, we're going through an anger management course called okay. Overcoming Emotions That Destroy. Great. So 
that's really good because you're actually identifying what's under the anger and that's, that class has really been beneficial for me especially with all these different emotions that I'm feeling and going through right now that I'll be able to identify them so even though I'm facilitating that class uh, I'm definitely learning a lot out of it uh, as, I'm, as I'm teaching through it I'm also involved in a celebrate recovery that's a 12-step program similar to AA or NA and that's Great. actually one of my more more favorite groups where we can really talk about the issues that we're really dealing with today like the people that we're having troubles with or uh, some of the, the temptations or the struggles that we have and our conversations lately been very fluid and realistic especially for me with what I'm going through I'm able to kind of uh, get other people's input. You know, how do you go through this? Uh, how do you go through life to simply please God, regardless of going home or what's benefiting me? How do you just simply do it to 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 please God? When I facilitate those groups, it definitely it, it gives me a sense of worth. But more than that, uh, this work is ongoing, no matter what. So even when I work to get out, I'll continue in this type of recovery work. Uh, whether it's through the Bible studies or or counseling, um, taking college courses, getting my AA in sociology or psychology. Right on, that's great. Uh, um, continuing my ministry studies for my bachelor's from Unisimus Bible College. And I'm actually thinking about becoming a, a peer mentor. There's a program here called LTOP, Long-Term Offender Program. Okay. A lot of the men in here, they've been recommending me, uh, which starts in January. So I've, I've definitely been contemplating uh, going that field to help the guys uh, through the board process or, or people going home in the short period. So uh, that's definitely the type of work that I want to do when I get out. And definitely working towards uh, the ministry, being a youth pastor, it covers those areas, counseling, working with the, the at-risk youth even visiting the sick in the hospital, those in prison. It covers all that, mentoring, coaching. That's the type of work that I want to do. And it's, it's not easy, especially going through this big rejection. I was angry at God at a time, and I was struggling even to go to church. But I pushed myself to go to church, and, yeah, it shook my face. It made me question God. So I, I did question all the fundamental things of our of my Christian faith, but right. this this really showed me that this, it is by faith, it is by grace. And I have to continuously go on this journey because when I didn't know about the self help stuff, when I was in Pelican Bay, God was there for me. When I was in Youth Authority, He was the one that comforted me. So those are the experiences I rely on, and to continue on today. And yeah, at times I do want to just kick back and step down from leadership. But I know this is my calling and this is my purpose. So that's what I want to do when I get out. I believe that you're going to get out. You're going to you're going to be uh, deported to Korea, South Korea. Um, that's the that's the thing. I don't know yet. I mean, I'm expecting to, but if they, for some reason, allow me to stay here, uh, I would rather stay here. 
because the majority of my family is here. English, I'm very comfortable with English. Um, and the ministry, definitely prison ministry, Jewel Now Hall, that's something I want to do here. But if I am deported, I would have to brush up on my Korean and get in the same type of field over there. Yeah, well, that was what was going to be my next question. Do you plan on using all that you're learning and doing and growing now to do you have some plans for what when you get there if, if they don't allow you to stay in the United States? So based on Korean law, you have to join the military if you're born over there. So that's something I'm going to have to do. But I, I do want to utilize my skill set while in the military to minister, to help people. And the culture is way different over there. So everything I shared about is taboo. If if you've been in a gang if, or if you've been in prison, you're like disgraced, the scum of the earth. So I have to be really wise about how I share my story. Right. Um, even though my stories, or if you do it all, I yeah. But one thing I do understand is the struggle, the pain. So that's something I can relate to that everybody's going through, and I can speak in their language. But for sure, I, I do want to go to seminary school over there and be able to minister to, to the people over there. Because I do understand that there is a big computer gaming addiction over there. And I know what that feels like. <laughs> I went through that. So that's the one area that I could relate to uh, for the youth over there as well. Right. You think about those who listen to this uh, podcast, the family members of the incarcerated, people like your mom. What words do you have for them? I mean, do you have some parting words for them? Yes. No matter how dire the circumstances are, there's always hope. And I know our criminal justice system is uh, heading in a way where they are focusing on rehabilitation. So even if their loved one has a sentence of life without parole, uh, there have been cases where those men have been commuted to a, a, a sentence where they can go before the parole board, but it's based on your rehabilitation. So they have to stay out of trouble. No 115s, no write-ups, not even a 128. Educate yourself, not just intellectually through college, but self-help, mentally, psychologically. And there's so many ways to, to get those opportunities if you don't have it at your prison. There's correspondence or even the books you read, right? Book reports the things that speak to you in life through the movies or the relationships, you're always growing and, and it's up to that person. But continue to support them, love them, write them, answer their phone calls, and continue to show them that support because we all need it. And we're doing our best to make it home to you guys. So continue to love on them and communicate everything how you feel. That's one thing I didn't do. I held everything inside and always ask them, what are you thinking? What's on your mind? What are you feeling? Be vulnerable with one another. And that's what I've been doing with my mother, and it's been such a blessing to be able to communicate that now today. Man, thank you, Justin. Well said. Appreciate you. We wish you all the best here. I uh, will be in touch. Uh, we'd definitely love to interview again when you get outside of those walls. Man. Uh, I love you. I miss you. I love you too, man. And you're my brother. Man. You're my friend. And and I see you uh, us being friends for the rest of our lives. So I appreciate yeah. you. And I, 
I, I appreciate you, man. You've definitely been a role model to me, an inspiration. You set the bar really high, and and that's the the standard I'm going for, even more so. And, and I thank you for all your help, even now. You know, you don't have to do this. You could go on with your life, but you're you're taking so much of your time just for for us to get our stories out there. So I thank you. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of The Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our videocast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.